If you have uh, a Bible with you or a device that you can look up uh, your scriptures on, we're starting our studies from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1 this morning and we'll be looking at just the first handful of verses, Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 8 and it's a good place for us to start uh, reading. So let's do that. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John, who wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we uh, this morning come to your word and we're so glad that you speak to us through it and so open our ears, open our hearts to what you're saying to your people today. May we uh, acknowledge the, the living word, the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the word that we might grow and become more Christ-like. Grant to us, we pray, a measure of your grace and your spirit today as we spend this time with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a few years ago now, I was thinking back this morning, I'm guessing close to nine years ago, when my son Josh and I decided to ride the great Victorian bike ride. Has anyone here done that before? It was the most frustrating experience. (laughs) Frustrating because... Um, it, there was 5,000 other cyclists and so the road was a constant confusion of, of mostly children kind of zigzagging here, there and everywhere and um, anyway, we, now's not the time to complain about that. Let's just say um, there were a few days, it was hideous. Um, <laughs> we did the Ballarat Loop which sort of went from Ballarat out and around the flat western plains. And so, as is typically the case, there was a strong wind blowing the whole time. And so, for days, we had headwinds. There was one day in particular, I remember, we were going down through the Lakes District. I don't know if you're familiar with that area down past Cressy towards um, Camperdown. Uh, And it was drought, just as it is now. The lakes were dry and there was dust blowing. In fact, there was some threat that the road was even going to be closed because of the drifts of dust. And it was a 100 kilometres of howling headwind. I said to my son, Josh, just sit on my wheel for the day. You know, get behind me, I will drag you through. And at one point I looked behind to see this little kid uh, covered in dust. Uh, It wasn't from me, it was just the environment. He was sweating away and he was... He was, it was amazing, he was almost indigenous in his coloration. <laughs> and there were others who were just exhausted and crying at lunchtime because it was such hard work. There was one occasion as we were doing the ride where a portion of our trip was to be on dirt road. 
And so the council uh, figured, oh, goodness me, there's 5,000 or so cyclists coming through. We better make sure that we fix the road. Now, it would have been better if they'd left the road alone because what they did uh, to a road that was probably potholed and, and a bit shaly, they actually ran the grader over it and they made a lovely smooth surface. The trouble was that it had rained as well, so it was a lovely smooth mud that was full of all sorts of stuff that had been graded up from the edges of the road, sticks and stones and all sorts of other stuff. And so we had all of these cyclists kind of, what's the word, um, making their way through this terrible quagmire. In fact, for two kilometres, I just got off my bike, threw it over my shoulder and walked through the road reserve, uh, lest I ended up getting my bike totally... Um, uh, ruined by all this mud and dirt and all the rest of it. And I was thinking of that experience as I was looking at this passage this morning because in the ancient Near East, one of the things that used to happen if uh, a royal member or a monarch or someone of significance was coming along through a particular area, the people in the area would make the road, fix the road, they would prepare the road. They would do whatever it took to get the road into order. And so when Mark wrote these words, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, the people who were listening, the people who read his words, would, that would immediately have resonated with them. That's what he's on about. Get ready because someone important's on his way. Get the pathway ready because there is a king coming. And so right from the start, Mark sets this scene, there is someone very important coming along. I kind of was tempted to start this message this morning in another way, uh, and the other way was this. I don't know if you're familiar with some of the great um, biblical epic movies, you know, the Ten Commandments, those sort of movies, you're familiar with some of those. One of the things that I really like about some of those movies is the voiceover at the start. You know, the narrator. They, they choose someone, and, and it probably predates James Earl Jones, but that sort of really deep, resonant, I can't do it, that deep, resonant kind of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That kind of stuff. You could do the same here, couldn't you? Because if you have a look at Mark, Mark kind of has the same uh, resonance, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I couldn't help but wonder whether Mark didn't actually want us to deliberately make that connection. And I think the answer is yes, he did. He wants us, as we look here at this introduction to this coming King, to Jesus Christ, he wants us to connect to what's happened before the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning God created. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what is God doing? He's creating, he's doing a totally new thing. Nothing like that had ever happened in history before. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what is God doing? He's doing a totally new thing. Nothing like this has ever happened in history before. God's about to do something incredible, something amazing. Prick up your ears and listen, folks, because uh, God's about to reveal something staggering in terms of creation and redemption and the history of the world. God is making a way for humanity to be redeemed. And it's really useful to kind of emphasise that as we come to this passage because we live in an age, and I've kind of alluded to this on a few occasions, we live in an age where we are told, we are kind of surrounded by the idea that we can redeem ourselves. Humanism, 
the dominant philosophy of our age says it's all about us. We can fix whatever problems that we have. You know, there's panic in our world at the moment around coronavirus. Panic because it might spread and, and in fact it could become one of those deadly outbreaks. And so the people are running around trying to fix the problem. Now there's absolutely nothing wrong with applying science and medicine. God's revealed those things to us. But as long as we believe we can do it on our own, there's a problem. And we run around worrying about how we're going to feed the world or how we're going to generate power, all those sorts of stuff. But we can fix it. We've got the technology. We've got the science. We've got the wherewithal. We can do it. And again, I say to you, God's revealed to us smart people with ideas and we want to celebrate that. But if we try and do that apart from God, we're always going to be in strife, aren't we? But there's one problem we can't fix. And through the history of the world, we've seen that demonstrated time and time again, despite the fact that uh, that uh, the Scripture and the Old Testament in particular is a record of humanity trying to fix it. The problem we can't fix is our separation from God. The problem that we can't fix ourselves is this rebellion in our hearts. I was reading something this week, someone had written to their children as they were going back to school and it said words to this effect, just follow your hearts, be true to yourself. And I thought, that's good advice. What does the scripture say about our hearts though? Our heart is corrupt, our heart uh, is wicked. Uh, you're going to follow that, you're going to be in trouble. But there's the problem, you see, we think we can do it ourselves. Uh, it's worth emphasising that this problem of sin that uh, the scripture describes is separation from God is something we can't fix ourselves. But God's going to do something about that. This is the message of this gospel of Mark. Mark wants to remind us again that redemption from sin is something that only God can do and this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ is the story of God's activity it says here in Mark chapter 1 verse 1 the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the son of God that's an interesting statement too the beginning of the gospel have you ever read Mark all the way through many of you would have if you jump up to the last chapter there in Mark let's just do that really quickly this is a little bit of an aside but it's worth having a look here Mark my personal view is that Mark finishes at Mark chapter 16 verse 8 What's been added through verse 9 to verse 20, the very best scholars and the earliest manuscripts suggest has been added later and probably added later because the people who added it were not comfortable with where the gospel finished because the last verse in chapter 16 verse 8, if indeed this is the finish, is this. It says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's a very strange place to finish a story, isn't it? I think actually there's a good reason to argue that that is the correct place to finish because this is just the beginning of the gospel. The gospel is still being written and the invitation of the gospel of Mark and the invitation in chapter 16 verse 8 is what happens next? Because this story is not over. This is not the story of Jesus in its entirety. Jesus is still at work, believe it or not. Jesus is still actually at work. You see, what we find through the Gospels is that Jesus didn't abandon us or leave us and say that's the end of the chapter. He left his spirit to be with us that his work might continue. And so the Gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ extends right through to this very day. What we have here in the Gospel of Mark is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This gospel, this good news, is actually still being written even today in the lives of you and I as God lives and works and ministers through us. We move on uh, to the next verse. Now, normally, I would skip over verse 2 and verse 3 because it's just a quotation from the Old Testament, but uh, it's actually worth sitting here for a few moments because Mark included this information for a really good reason. It says here, let's just jump into this if we've got it up on the screen. Uh, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. There's a quotation that Mark says is from Isaiah. It's actually a a mixture of quotations. Uh, One of them potentially comes from Exodus. Uh, There's a little phrase in here that's probably come from Malachi and a chunk of it that comes from Isaiah. Best we can guess, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. In fact, there's no guessing involved, it's pretty clear. That's where it comes from, where uh, it says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths in the wilderness for our God. Make straight paths. You remember we talked a moment ago about highways and roads. You realise there's an awful lot of references in the Old Testament to highways. And rather interesting, it's not just a, a kind of a peripheral reference, it's not just... You know, Moses was walking down the highway. It's a a metaphor, an illustration of God's activity. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 16, let's just see if we've got this here. Uh, There will be a highway for the remnant of God's people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. You see, God's saying there is a future time coming. What we talk in theological terms, or if you want technical terms, in eschatology, the study of the end times, there's a highway going to be prepared for God's people. God is going to prepare a way. And then in Isaiah chapter 35, a really nice passage, it says, The desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. It kind of sounds familiar, these words, don't they? Somebody used them somewhere. I think it might have even been Jesus. Luke chapter 7. You remember John the Baptist sent emissaries to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus says, well, what are you seeing? And Jesus quoted that passage. And then in verse 8 of this passage, it says, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Again, a view to the future when God will prepare a road, a highway for his people. And it's no coincidence, I think, that Jesus said, I am the way. You see the connections? And here's one of the, the, uh, the beautiful things about the scriptures that we have. There is an Old Testament and a New Testament, or a first and a second, if you like. And let me encourage you not to dispense with the study and the reading of the Old Testament Uh, to the exclusion of just reading from the New Testament because you can't understand some of these things unless you know the history, the background, the connections. It's rich. It's very, very rich. And as as we've discovered, 
the uh, Old Testament, the ancient prophets prophesied that there would be one who would come to prepare a way, to get a highway ready for the coming of the Messiah. And so Mark's question is, who is this? And the answer you'll find there in verse 4, he says, and so John came. John came. It's interesting actually that John came baptising in the desert region. You notice as you read through this Gospel of Mark, there's lots and lots of references to wilderness. Wilderness. Who likes wilderness? Yeah, I'm with those who like wilderness. My ideal holiday is probably not surface paradise in the middle of summertime when there's 25 million people up there. I was chatting to somebody. I'm not sure, is it someone from here? No, it wasn't from someone. I think I might have alluded to this just the other day. Uh, they went for a holiday just recently up that way. Yeah, waited for two and a half hours to go on a ride. Whoa! What are you going to do for two and a half hours? Well, it must have been a jolly good ride, that's all I can say. That's not my idea. Let's go bush, let's go out somewhere wild. Diana will tell you how much we loved camping in the Barmer Forest years ago. Actually, she's probably shaking her head right now because... <laughs> because uh, <laughs> It was a great time. No, it was. It was a good time. There was no one else and it was stormy and we told bunyip stories. Do you remember those? And uh, and she couldn't get out of there fast enough. But I thought it was terrific. Wild pigs snorting out in the bush, you know, that sort of thing. That is fantastic. That's a holiday. <laughs> you don't do brunch in those places, let me tell you. What about this wilderness theme? Why do we have so many references to wilderness? Because you'll find here uh, that uh, John comes preaching in the wilderness. He appeared in the wilderness. He baptised in the wilderness. If you jump just outside our passage uh, into the baptism and temptation of Jesus, at once the Spirit, after the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit sent him out to where? Guess where? To the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? What's this business about wilderness? Well, it relates to a little bit to what I was saying around communion. Um, I was reminded that um, Diana and I were married in the Portland Baptist Church about 30-odd years ago. And I was doing a little research this morning. Um, the Portland Baptist Church is, by proximity, the furthest Baptist church in Victoria from from us here in Wodonga. Mildura is about 537 k's. Portland, actually I did a, a Google search, it told me that Portland was 12,400 kilometres. I thought, what? No wonder it takes so long to get there. <laughs> but that was Portland, Oregon. Portland, Victoria, 650 k's or something like that. And in the old Baptist church, um, they had a sign above the, uh, the, the platform. They changed a bit over the years, but I could not help every time I went there remember that occasion when we were married in that church. Now you go back to those places and you're reminded of something that took place there. You go back to where you were familiar with if you were lost. And I suspect that one of the reasons Mark's kind of sown this wilderness theme into the Gospel of Mark is this, because Mark's wanting to link the ministry of John the Baptist to what God did previously in that experience of the wilderness that the people went through when they came out of Egypt, right? 
You see, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, God gathered them together. They crossed the sea. The Egyptian army was destroyed. He led them by fire and by cloud. He demonstrated his love to them. He demonstrated his providential care to them. He called them together and made them into a people for the first time. A new people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they became a nation in the wilderness. And here we are out in the wilderness again. And what is God doing? He's calling people to himself again. He's making a new nation. He's gathering them together under the Messiah. A new people for himself. You see the link between the wilderness and the wilderness? The old wilderness, the new wilderness? It was the wilderness of of Sinai where God showed himself to his people. And here we have Mark harking back to that that wilderness experience. And uh, if you jump back into... um, Somewhere like Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, Jesus wrote the words to the church in Ephesus. He said, you've done lots of good stuff, but here is something you need to attend to. You need to go back to your first love. I want you to come back to that place, that place that was so special, that place where you knew me, that place where you were dedicated to me, that place where I showed yourself to me, that place where you saw my hand at work. And there's some... Some timely advice perhaps for some, uh, if you're finding yourself just kind of drifting a little bit in your faith, if you're not sure what God's wanting for, you're not sure what the future looks, go back to those places. Go back to that time where God showed himself to you. Go back to that time where God has said, I am real, I love you, whatever it might have been, and be reminded again of that experience as you move forward. It's a biblical principle. And so Mark tells us that John the Baptist came to prepare a way for the Lord to make a straight path for him. And I guess the question is, well, how did John do that? And the answer to that question is found there in verse 4. He was baptizing in the desert region. He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And there, I guess, we have a summary of the gospel, don't we? Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. God is doing a new thing. God is calling together a new people. How are they formed up? By repentance and for and through forgiveness. God is doing something new. It's kind of good that last year we had a look at the book of Joshua. You remember Joshua and the people crossed the Jordan as they entered the promised land. Well, it's rather curious that um, John was probably baptizing in a very similar kind of vicinity. No accident. No accident that when John was baptising down there on the Jordan, he was calling people to come back down to the river that their ancestors had crossed, baptising them and entering the land afresh. You see the deep symbolism that there is in this? Coming back to the the wilderness, being baptised for repentance and forgiveness of sin and re-entering the land. What's really interesting actually is it was Jewish people who were being baptised too. Jewish people were actually, this is just a little historical um, background, Jewish people were very familiar with the process of baptism. There were some, how would you say it, some peripheral groups, the Essenes for example, Jewish sects if you want, uh, that baptised regularly but generally speaking Uh, Jews were familiar with uh, baptism because Gentiles who wanted to become Jews had to be baptised. It was called proselyte baptism. So if any of us in ancient times wanted to become a Jewish person, 
there would be a process of baptism and a couple other things that we won't talk about. Um, but uh, baptism was something known to the Jewish people. But what's really interesting here is, in this passage, it was Jewish people who were going out and being baptised, literally entering Gentile territory and coming back into the land. Jewish people who would normally have said, we don't need to do this. We don't actually need to change. We already are the ones who've inherited the covenant. We are already one, uh, already the chosen people of God. But it was Jewish people who were humbling themselves and who were repenting and seeking forgiveness. Now, this speaks to me uh, a rather interesting little application that I was reflecting on over the last few days. You know, oftentimes in the church we say, you know, people out there, they need to change. If they're going to be any good before God, they're going to have to change. If they're going to be acceptable, they're going to need to change. When in actual fact, I wonder sometimes whether God might not be saying to us, you know what, church, you need to change. You need to have a look at yourself first. You need to ask the hard questions. How is your heart before me? You see, here we have Jewish people who recognise the need to repent and be forgiven. Perhaps in our day, one of the challenges that we face is not to look at others and say, gosh, wouldn't it be good if they changed? But to look at ourselves and say, what is God wanting us to be? How is God wanting to transform my heart, our hearts, our collective heart? Well, as you can see already, the images that we have here in this passage are really, really rich. John, we know from other descriptions of him, uh, was dressed in a manner that brought back to mind Elijah. There were people who were excited. And Mark tells us here in verse 5, the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to, them, out to him. I kind of wonder sometimes whether that's deliberate exaggeration, you know, a bit of hyperbole or not. But it suggests to me that there was a stirring of excitement going on. There was something happening, something exciting. People were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for something interesting. They were going out and uh, and finding something going on there in the wilderness. And here's the message that they heard. If you jump with me over to uh, verse 7. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I saw um, a sign recently. You know how signs are meant to work? I mean, this sounds like a stupid question, right? How does a sign work? Well, it's uh, generally speaking, a sign points you to something else, right? You're looking for uh, someone's house. You've never been there before. What do you look for? Forget about your GPSs, don't trust them. Uh, you look for a sign, such and such street. I saw a sign in someone's house recently which said words to this effect, if you're looking for a sign, you've just found it. <laughs> it might have been phrased slightly differently, but that was how... And I thought, that's really clever. And then I thought, that's really stupid. <laughs> because what's the point of a sign that doesn't point to somewhere else? You know, it's a bit like if you were, um, if you were looking, travelling someplace and you're thinking, I wonder where I am, and you came to a sign which just was a sign on its own, says, you are here. Yeah, <laughs> that's really helpful. 
because the role of a sign is not to direct attention to itself right and the role that john the baptist wanted to make really clear is that i'm not here to draw attention to myself either i am but a sign pointing you to someone else pointing you to someone greater than i someone the thongs of whose sandals i'm not even worthy to tie that was john's role here's an application for us too i think in the church we can sometimes become really tied up with trying to polish up our programs and make ourselves attractive and do all this stuff so that people will come and join us in actual fact god calls us to point people to christ nothing wrong nothing wrong at all with doing things well and doing things to the best of our capacity i had a friend who used to say our very best is only just good enough for god in other words we really got to do the best that we can but we are but signs pointing people to christ our ministries are not to draw people to the ministry and say yay for us look at this this is a great ministry whatever it might be it's to point people to christ our playgroup is to point people to christ our kids church what's that all about point people to christ breathe what's that all about point people to christ small groups what are they about point people they're signs you and i are signs there should never be an occasion in the life of our work together as as believers where we are drawing people to ourselves we are to point them to christ just as as uh, john the baptist did he was but a sign and if you um, if you understand the rich connection as we've tried to highlight between the Old Testament and Mark's announcement of the coming King, then this uh, statement in verse eight: "I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit," makes a whole lot of sense too, because here John is not talking about uh, charismatic uh, gifts or anything like that, which is referred to a little later in the New Testament. He's actually linking, I think, to what's been said in the old testament about the activity of the spirit in this new age this age that uh, was being introduced this age that we live in let's uh, have a look at a couple of those in isaiah verse uh, isaiah chapter 63 verse 11 and 14 isaiah noted that it was god's spirit who was among the people as they journeyed through the wilderness it was the spirit of god who gave them rest when they were in that place and Isaiah anticipated that there would be an exodus-like experience when God would pour out his spirit on his people afresh. Here's an example, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. This is what the Lord said, But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, who I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Mark's looking back at those verses and saying, this is happening. Jesus is the one who's going to do this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There will be a pouring out of the spirit in these days. And Mark wants us to understand that in Jesus, in this gospel that he's introducing, that time has arrived the beginning of the gospel it's about to happen it is happening it's happening in our age it's happening in our time one final application perhaps before we pray and that is this as um, i was preparing this message i was reminded again and i hope have been able to communicate to you this morning just how deeply linked the new testament is into the old testament and 
it's it's beautiful and it's it, it's genius in the way that it works and it reminds me that God is in some ways like a master chess player. You know how master chess players work? If you don't, don't be embarrassed because I don't have a clue either. Um, but I suspect that they're sitting there planning their moves four or five or six or seven or ten steps ahead, right? They're anticipating what the opponent's going to do. They're way ahead. And in some ways, God works like this. Because way back in ancient times, he was putting in place all of the circumstances, all of the conditions, all of the stuff, if you like, that was going to be necessary for he knew what was coming. God is all-knowing. He knows the past, he knows the future, he knows the present. And so God has been at work through history, putting in place all of the things that he knows is going to be necessary for the moment when the moment arrives, long before we know. And I think there's much encouragement in that for us. Because the activity that God is doing in your life today, he has been at work preparing way back. Way back before you imagined it way back before it became clear, he's been putting in place the circumstances, the conditions so that he might work out his purposes in your life. And if you're finding yourself in a place at the moment where you're scratching your head and saying, what is going on? I've got no understanding, no idea. You can go to the Lord and say, God, I don't know, but he does. That's the beauty of the God we serve. We've uh, spoken often just in this last month about the circumstances we're experiencing here and the tragedy that many have experienced around our district as God, apart from that, he's known. He's at work, he's been putting in place the resources, the recovery, all sorts of stuff that is necessary because God's been at work through history and will continue to be at work through history and in the future. We see that demonstrated here in the book of Mark. The reason that Mark can do that is because God is at work. He has been at work, he will continue to be at work. There's much confidence that we can take in that. And so no matter what we might face, no matter what we might struggle with, no matter what challenges we might find ourselves running up against, they're not surprising to God. He's been at work. He's, he understands. He's got it covered. His hand is in there somewhere. Uh, our prayer, of course, is to be able to see that and understand that. Over these next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to work our way through the Gospel of Mark. Let me encourage you to do two things. First of all, if you're involved in a small group, get hold of the study notes. Uh, there's questions there that will uh, explore stuff that I've not touched on this morning, so it'll give you a chance to dig into the scriptures in other directions. Uh, if you're not part of a small group, let me encourage you to go and see Hans, who would be very happy to help facilitate that. As we conclude, though, let me encourage you to, again, to take advantage of the opportunity that we have of being together here this morning. I alluded to this earlier and I say it again. Uh, as a congregation, we are committed to prayer because we believe that God answers prayer. And as we continue to study his word, as things are exposed by God in our own lives, let me encourage you to continue to seek prayer with one another. It's a great encouragement to me to see people praying together after the service, either out the front here with the team who have made themselves available to do that, or perhaps in their seats, or just to approach someone for quiet, uh, reflective prayer later on. Let me encourage you to do that, no matter what it might be for. One of the roadblocks I think there are sometimes in the ways of people doing that is you think, oh gosh, you know, everyone's going to see me coming forward and say, wonder what their problem is. 
don't have to have a problem. doesn't matter what it is. An opportunity to pray with someone else might just be an encouragement to the other person as it is to you. Let me encourage you to take advantage of that too as God speaks to us. We believe that he does and we want to be open to what the Spirit is saying to the church through his word, which is why we dig into his word with such intent and provide places where we can reflect on that. Let's pray right now, then we'll invite Alan to come back and uh, conclude our service with worship. Lord, we do worship you in our prayer. We thank you, Lord, again for your word. We thank you for the genius that we see demonstrated in the way that the Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament, that the coming of Jesus is uh, timed perfectly in terms of world history, the manner in which the prophets spoke of old has been fulfilled in Christ. And, uh, and people like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and others who uh, were well versed in their history were able to see your hand at work through those times. Open our eyes and hearts too, we pray, to see what your scripture is saying to us, but also what you're saying to us through the circumstances that we live in in our days. Help us, Lord, to uh, depend upon you no matter what our circumstances and go with confidence knowing that nothing takes you by surprise that you have a plan for our lives, that you seek for us to walk in obedience according to your will and that you long to bless us abundantly in all sorts of ways. Lord, we acknowledge your goodness to us even in the midst of difficult times during our grief and loss. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who's present in whatever circumstances we find. Bless us, we pray, as we conclude our time in Jesus' name. Amen.